listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. G'day coaches, my online course Evolve Rugby is out. This course is based on the reoccurring lessons and themes that have come up in over 100 interviews of running this podcast. The online course contains video modules, worksheets and a reflective journal and it's just what every coach needs for pre-season planning, mid-season review or post-season reflection. Check out Evolve Rugby via the link in the show notes and use the promo code TRCCP10 to get your 10% discount. Now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 115 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is JP Nervin. JP is the author of The Culture System, a proven process for creating extraordinary team culture. Basketball was his first love, where he played at the University of South Carolina. He's also coached over 12 years in the US, Lithuania, and Ireland, where he now lives with his wife and family. He works with people who are serious about leading and building a better culture, and it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, JP. Hey, it's great to be here, man. Appreciate the yeah. opportunity. No, great to chat. And um, I grabbed that last line off your your LinkedIn bio where where you wrote that you're serious about where you where you want to work with people who are serious about leading and building a better culture. And I think that's a, a great line because if people aren't serious about it, there's there's no magic pill. There's no boxes that you check. It's a lot of uh, hard work and consistency uh, over time. Yeah, I think there's people that enjoy it. They embrace the challenge. Mm-hmm. They, they see that as part of coaching. You know, I was just talking with Anson Dorrance, 22-time national championship coach at University of North Carolina and uh, World Cup coach for 91 women's American uh, soccer team. And, you know, there's that's a guy there that it, he doesn't see culture as the ends to the mean of winning. He mm-hmm. just enjoys the challenge of bringing people together, the human element. And I think that's what, you know, is exciting about culture is it's it's the human aspect of, of coaching. And there's some coaches out there that, oh yeah, you know, I just, I just want to be able to coach. I just want to be able to coach the game. Mm. And that's just not a reality if you want to be a great coach, right? You got to be invested mm. in the human aspect of the sport. Yeah, for sure. Couldn't agree more. And, and on with sport, how did you first uh develop a love and passion for sport what was your what was your childhood sporting adventures like yeah i grew up in south carolina in the states and uh, basketball was just for me you know uh as a high energy kid couldn't sit still in class you know i just i would spend my my days in the south there hot summer days just out there shooting baskets so that's that's where my love came and you know it was I was fortunate it took me to University of South Carolina where I got to play on as a walk on there at a division one high level and have cool experiences sitting on the bench on, in Madison Square Garden got maybe got a few 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 minutes on the court there and awesome. cool venues You'll like take that it. but I'll take it right so yeah. uh yeah it was, it was a great 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 journey for sure yeah amazing and um what about what about your role now how do you how do you end up in this cultural space because you were 
you were coaching extensively for for quite some time and now you you've you've shifted into this this area what was that process yeah you know i started i got my start in coaching actually in ireland um where i was coaching basketball there and you know not that i was qualified as a coach or knew mm-hmm. what the heck i was doing but i had you know, division one experience and he's from America and there's a desperate need for coaches period. So yeah. within three months I had every job that I could imagine coaching basketball <laughs> at every level in Limerick, yeah. uh, for, you know, years ago. Yeah. So I, I, would rapidly got into it. I was absorbed like, like probably all your listeners of the podcast. Mm. Like we love this, this, there's that energy, there's an early enthusiasm. And I would say that kind of waned as I struggled with the human element of, of coaching, mm-hmm. you know, motivating, um, building relationships. Um, and I had great success with, with a lot of individuals and with teams when it, but I came to this realization about 10 years into coaching that I was underachieving every year as a team, we -hmm. could achieve more. And I wasn't having the impact on the athlete or the person behind the athlete that I really desired. You know, I had good relationships with some players and, but I didn't want to rest on the prior success that I had or the good relationships I had. I wanted to improve my chances with positive relationships, positive impact, positive experience for all the athletes. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, you know, to stop leaving culture up to chance. You yeah. know, I think so often I just kind of just would try a thing here or there. So I started, you know, to just obsess over studying culture, reading every book, reading a book a week on every leadership culture book you can imagine. Awesome. Started to write about the things that I would learn. Uh, I found that process of writing to be just very beneficial for me to how do I apply these ideas? I started to really test these ideas. I didn't just listen or, or to the books or read books. And, and, you know, I wasn't much of a podcast listener, uh, yeah. but, you know, I didn't just, oh, that's a great idea. I would go and try it. You know, like I just was willing to try it and see how I could apply it in my context. And so I started writing about those things and started a podcast, the Coaching Culture Podcast back in 2017 to share some of that as well. So just on this learning journey and, you know, as you get down and down that, I'm sure with you as a podcast, you see people for some reason start to see you as a bit of an expert on this. Mm. Definitely not an expert, but they want to have more conversations with you and they want to learn about, you know, the things here and, and, and you kind of naturally just formed into this coaching of coaches, you know, just working with coaches um, across the country in the States and now in Canada and all over the world, Australia just working with them to, you know, apply these things within their culture, these tools, these ideas, these, these strategies and the, and develop these skills that we know are so impactful and so important. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I, I really like that piece about writing. I, I found uh, a big, big change in my coaching about five years ago was when I, I started keeping a bit of a reflection journal on my practice sessions and my games, but then I'd revisit those reflections before my next session. And I just felt that that full 360 uh, review and then pre- preview and planning um, elevated my coaching in terms of how, how, how good the delivery was compared to if I, I just relied on memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think one of the great, challenges when I got started in coaching was there wasn't a lot of information. It was mostly in Mm. books, right? You know, Mm -hmm. like 20 years ago, it was like, you pick up a book, you read it. And that that was good, right? You know, but it was, well, even then I wasn't good at applying 
what I read. You know, I read every John Wooden book in the world and I didn't, and I go back and read it 10 years later. I'm like, I didn't mm. apply any of this. I highlighted a lot, <laughs> but I didn't apply it, you know? Yeah. So there is this great challenge of today, even greater now, like people listen to this podcast, they're going to hear, hopefully they'll hear a few ideas. They're like, Mm. oh, I got to, I want to try that. Or I got to work on that. Or I need to improve upon that. But then do we have a system to take these ideas, these concepts, and to actually apply them within our leadership, within Mm. our relationships with our players, Mm -hmm. within our, um, within our team culture? And then do we have a system to refine them? Because the, the first application of a, tool or in a skill, like you learn a new skill around questioning, right. With, with players, right. It takes time to develop, you know, like, yeah. you know, it takes time to flesh these things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you need to have a system for that, you know, and I think that's, that's a huge, huge component of it. Yeah. And that, that probably leads us to uh, what a, what a great title too, the culture system for your book. I, I really like that because that is, I'm, I'm that type of coach where, where I do like to have, a, a process and uh you know uh, not necessarily a step-by-step because every team's going to be different but i like the idea of having a, a systematic approach um what what was what was your motivation to to write the culture system and and what have you learned from especially the creative process of, of writing a book yeah it it being my second my first was really just like my my blogs my podcast Hey, here's a bunch of ideas that you can go and apply, mm-hmm. right? And they're effective. They're based on leadership principles and tools and strategies, methods that great coaches, great organizations, great CEOs, great, you know, captain of a Navy ship, like all these things mm-hmm. that I've learned over the years. And they work. They work. Mm-hmm. The problem, the problem is we as coaches have limited time. Mm-hmm. Some of us struggle with organization. Some of us struggle to stay disciplined. We get caught up in the X's and O's in the middle of the season. We get caught up in the, the rush, managing everything else that comes with life. And so this was really, the, the book came from my relationship and my work with coaches and us de- designing and re- recognizing that it needs to be a framework for how we apply these things within programs, these things that work, the common strategies, tools, methods that the best teams, the best coaches, the best organizations are doing. But we have to have a framework that makes it easier to do. We wanted to make it almost effortless because if I'm so caught up in, well, this is what JP said, you know, I've got to, I got to do this next. And, or what do I do here? What do I do? Like, if we're so caught up in the implementation Mm. and there's a lot of friction, like any good habit within your own life. Mm. If exercise is really hard for you to do, like you got to drive 30 minutes to get there, then to go work out. And like, it's really disruptive to your life. You're not going to maintain that habit in your own life. Mm. And it's the same with your culture. You have to reduce the friction. And so the systematic approach is what I've seen the great organizations like a Toyota. Toyota has a, is one of the great, is the greatest car company of all time by most metrics, a profit, quality, et cetera. They have a philosophy. They have a way that they want to do the Toyota way. Mm. It has, you know, cool slogans like Kaizen, you know, continuous improvement and people matter and all these things. But they also have the Toyota production system, which is a series of tools that has now become a legendary system that's been reframed as called lean, right? And so this is implemented in businesses all over the world. 
Now, so it's having those two things working together. So it's the same in coaching. It, it is, we have this way we want to lead, we have this philosophy, but we need something that makes it, 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 tools that align with our philosophy, our values, what we believe is important so that we lead in that way. We build culture in that way. But then we also need a system that makes it easier to do that. Yeah, you mentioned, you talk about Toyota quite a lot throughout the book. And I, I found that really, really fascinating. And I, I found uh, it was very interesting when you compared, uh, say, a, a traditional North American workforce to to Toyota and and what happens when the two meet and and those kind of things. And what I took about away from the, the Toyota um kind of model was they're, they're very big on empowering their workers and you know replace the word worker with with player uh and you can directly apply those concepts uh to coaching what from from you know studying toyota's process what are what are some of the the things that came out of what they're doing that coaches could look at and go well i could i could directly apply this to, to my team uh throughout this season and then the seasons moving forward yeah, I, I would say two big things. One is their obsession with the small incremental gains and improvement. You know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I, everyone's most heard of Atomic Habits by James Clear and just mm -hmm. those like 1% gains. And they've heard of these types of stories of 1% better every day. Well, what's your process to actually get that 1% better every day? Mm -hmm. Your process for improving your process. I know that sounds a little bit weird, but like, like a lot of people are like, oh, we're gonna get 1% better every day, which means we're gonna get out here, we're gonna grind, we're gonna work hard. Mm. Okay, but everyone's showing up and everyone's practicing, right? Are we improving how we practice? Are we practicing how we practice? Are we practicing how we do halftime? Are we thinking about how can we be better manage our halftime so that we can be more efficient, so we can get more focused on what is that we need to do, that we're getting opinions that need to be heard, you know, mm. perspectives shared, like, like every aspect of what you do, you need to look at and, and you, but you need to have a process for that improvement. And that's what, you know, Toyota is really committed to in that, in that Kaizen, the, the small incremental changes. And then back to your point, what you mentioned there, they have tools and methods for empowering people to do so. So on a Toyota you know, factory and all the people that now actually model like Amazon mm. <laughs> has built their They've business right. off of, off of lean Toyota production system. They have, uh, and Toyota had like, it were like what's called an and on cord where anybody on the factory line could pull the cord. And the first pull would bring over a manager and they could come over and say, Hey, there's an issue. And they would look at it. If they could fix it right away, they just would fix it. But if they needed to have a discussion and they would pull it again and it would stop production, it stops the whole production. Because mm -hmm. the thing is we have to fix this now. Well, how do they find the solution? They empower the individual to, to, to take to, to offer that suggestion, that solution. So they're part of that. They're encouraged. This is this is not the traditional approach. The, the traditional approach before Toyota came along was just keep never moving stop. and throw. <laughs> yeah, we just never stop. We'll fix it later. But here, another thing that Toyota does, which was cool, is they have a cool song that would play. It's not like, you know, like, no, it's like, <laughs> we're going to make this little, it's like a silly jingle. It's like, hey, here we go. We got a problem. <laughs> Celebrating the finding issues. So mm, what does this cool. mean for coaches? It's, it's, we got to find issues. You know, mm. we have to be looking for issues. There's always issues. And I always love this thing, Gina Wickman in the book, Traction 
which is about systems for business in his book, Traction. He says, problems are like mushrooms. In the dark, they multiply. So we have to bring forth those. So what are some ways that we have this with, with, within a practical stand, uh, sense within teams? I'll give you a few. One is we design what's called a leadership council with, with a lot of our coaches. And it's, it's in my book, but we, we talk about empowering a group of elected players typically a one to four ratio. So for every four players on your team, you'd have one leader that, and they meet once a week with the coach, but they have to first send a text message or meet with the players in their unit that they lead. So they lead about three or four people and say, Hey, is there anything that you'd like for us to bring up at the captain or leadership council meeting? Just one thing is bringing issues. And then they're part of not just there to complain, but they're part of, okay, what can we do to solve this? Johnny is not happy with his playing time. Practice has been going too late. Our energy is low. Whatever your issues are on your team, mm. two players aren't getting along. Okay, how can we solve this issue? So that's one, one thing. The other thing is creating a very safe space for people to share issues. Some people like the Amazons, or they have like a suggestion box or a complaint board where they can like really write up like, hey, there's an issue here. There's the old Ted Lasso, you know, they have the suggestion box. If you've watched Ted Lasso. The shower, they, yeah. Yeah, they fix the one shower. Order. Love it. And this is, and that's, there's a great principle in that, mm, right? Exactly. I know it's fictional, mm. but my, my wife actually, she's in business and she worked for Amazon and Google and she's worked for, currently works for Google, but she talks, and she always, I remember she'd always say like, they'd have these tools, right? To bring these suggestions, these issues to the table. The leaders that would gain respect were the ones that acted on it. Yeah. The leaders that lost respect were the ones that didn't act on it. And there is a moment where it's like Ted Lasso in the show, like those that haven't watched it, like, uh, you know, there's a suggestion box. Most people are just putting in like garbage in there or complaints about him abuse. or making fun of abuse. <laughs> there's one player is like the water pressure in the shower sucks. Right. Yeah. And then they go out and they fix it. And it's like super and it blows the guy over. Right. It's so strong. Yeah. So yeah. But here it's like, oh, he actually is listening. He actually mm. cares. And so those are two things. So we actually have coaches that send a, have a Google form. They'll send it out once a month. Yep. Any issues? Do you have any suggestions for solutions? Just simple, just a simple thing. And they can do it anonymously or they can put their name down. You know, but yeah. it's like, how do we create ways to get people to bring issues to the table? Yeah. Scott Robinson of the the Crusaders, um, he talks, he calls it whinge upwards. So, so don't complain to your fellow players or to the rookies or anything like that. Whinge upwards and, and bring issues to the forefront for that, for that exact reason. So yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great great message uh, there. That's a word whinge that you wouldn't have known in the US, but now in Ireland you'd be familiar with the, the whinge. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Um, a section of the book that really spoke to me was uh, where you discuss transactional versus transformational co coaches, and uh, there's a great quote in there saying a car is only as good as its driver. Um, I, that spoke to me because my, I think I wouldn't be alone, but my initial coaching experience was I was a very uh, transactional coach. Uh, I, I was of the expectation that what I said would be applied and that I would then receive the victories uh, as a result of that. Uh, it doesn't take you too long to, to work out that that's uh, not how, how, how things function. Um, can you talk a little bit about transactional versus transformation and, you know, elaborate more on, you know, what, what, what coaches should be looking to, to become a transformational coach. 
Yeah, then the transactional way the coach sees their role um, as this privilege. They're they're above the players. They're above the athletes. It's all about what they get. You know, the players are there to serve them. You know, and, and so when I see transactional coaching, which I operate in that way a lot more in the past and we are always it's more of a sliding spectrum you're not one yes. or the other you know mm-hmm. um but ways that i was transactional where i would get upset and and felt like well i'm doing all this for my players i'm sacrificing my time and they're not working hard they're on great like it's just this i had a sense of entitlement as a leader and i would use various motivational tactics to get them to do what i needed and when they did it, it really comes down to how do we see other people. Right? And then a transactional, when players do what we want them to do, where they have potential, we see them as a vehicle to our success. Mm-hmm. So how can I get them to buy in so that I can be successful? I'm very mm-hmm. focused on the wins and what it means for me. When a player is not bought in, when a player is not talented, when a player is not playing well, I see it as an obstacle to my mm-hmm. success. If they have, if they're the water boy, right? If they're a manager, they're the equipment guy, I might see them as irrelevant. So mm-hmm. they are either vehicles, obstacles are irrelevant. And I just kind of ignore them. The transformational leaders, they see every person as a person. And so they see that individual's needs, challenges, and objectives as legitimate as their own. So as a transformational coach, when a player is struggling to show up on time, I don't just see this as a problem for me and the team. I say, what's going on with this individual? What do they, do they lack the skills or the self-discipline organization? Maybe they have an issue at home, right? Like mm. I, I look and I see the person. And so transformational coaching still requires accountability, discipline, being demanding, but we're always seeing the person. Now, when I say that, that, um, that, that line up around your leadership being so critical, you know, the car being as only good as its driver mm-hmm. that that leadership role is critical. Like there's a lot of tools and methods that you can learn that I can teach a coach. I can teach you how to ask better questions. I could teach you how to run better, more efficient one-on-ones. I can help you implement a leadership council. I can help you have better strategies or really a, for, for discipline. But if you only are using these tools so that you can get more out of your players, get them to do what you want them to do. And you're only building relationships with your players so that they buy in and work hard. You're not Mm -hmm. building relationships with them because you actually value them as a human being. People will sense our way of being towards them. Mm -hmm. They will see through that. They will say, yeah, that's fake. Like kids know that. Athletes know Mm -hmm. what fake looks like. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, as a leader, be transformation. We have to constantly be working on our mindset. So we see the people, the person we have to be working on ourselves. It's very easy to get caught up in the pressure to win for us to perform. How does it look when we lose by, you know, 20 points and, and then to fall back into transactional type behaviors, using more fear-based coaching, all those types of things. So mm-hmm. that's why I say that is it really in the, the day, you can have all these tools, but if you don't have operate with the right mindset, if you don't, you know, the right, you know, attitude towards other people, they will fail. They will fail eventually. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. 
Um, one, one of the parts of the book I really liked was when you were talking about Bill Walsh and his, his book, uh, The Score Takes Care of Itself. I, I liked it because this is often held up as a, a book by coaches as, oh, you've got to read this and you know there's, this is the way you should be doing it and things like that. But what you really highlighted in that, uh, which I think is undersold in terms of his book, was how, how dramatically his health took a, a, a hit from his obsession with coaching and the pressures and you know, not having an out to you know, release that pressure. Um, I, I, you, you talk about things like journaling. You talk about things like coaches needing solitude. What, why do you think this is really important for coaches to, to pay attention to? And, you know, how, what, is, what are maybe some of the early warning signs that they could spot uh, that this, this is something they need to adjust? Yeah, it's, a, it's such a – I love that part with Walsh because he is such a celebrated coach. Mm. And I remember reading that book and going, yeah, this is great, this is great, this is great. But at the end, it was like, this is what's really great about it, mm. is this reality that of what it really costs, you know, and the, the zero points for winning and this how unhappy it is and how we can mm. get there. And I don't want to label Walsh as a transactional type coach. You know, I think there was probably ways that he was transactional or he was transformational. Like I, I don't, I couldn't really place him. I didn't know him, you know, where he was in the spectrum, but I think it, there's a lot of more of conversation. I think, I think Cody Royal, who wrote the tough stuff, I think he's great. Mm. He's great on social media follow as far as bringing awareness to how unfulfilling coaching can be at times, how mm. draining it can be, how difficult it can be and how lonely it can be right coaching is a really difficult profession if we do not have certain disciplines within our life uh we will lose balance we will we and the sad thing is we won't even have a bunch of super bowl rings like bill walsh yeah to, to at least make ourselves feel a little bit better about or a million bucks you know like mm. we're gonna be ringless and we'll have disconnected relationships with our children, yeah. with our spouse, our partner. You know, that would be one thing is, is we'll have sacrificed the most meaningful relationships in this pursuit of success or winning. And I think the other thing is we just, we won't be able to be at our best. You know, I, I think that's the other thing is like, not only do we not want to wait get down the road in 10, 20 years and be like, oh my gosh, look at all I threw away. But we actually mm. want to enjoy today. We yeah. want to enjoy the experience, the journey. And so we have to have certain disciplines with our life that help us stay centered, stay balanced, enjoy the journey. And, and lastly, we're a performer. To bring our best performance, we need to sleep. Mm. We need to practice mindfulness. If our athletes need to practice it, right? Like we need to you know, do things that are self-care and not see that as soft, you know? And so that, that, that's, that's why I think it honestly, it's the most important aspect of leadership. You know, you can have a mission statement, a vision statement, core values, you can do all those things. And I talk about those in the book, but if you don't have the disciplines, you, you know, all those things will just become meaningless cliches because you'll yeah. never really bring those things to fruition. Yeah, I think that's that's great. I've 
you know, I experience that with my coaching regularly. Whereas, you know, sometimes you feel like there's a season where you've got, you've got all your ducks in a row in terms of managing yourself and managing your workload and family life balance. And, and then, you know, my season last year, for example, was there was, there was a few little things were off and, it affected performance. And then upon reflection, it was a lot of what you're talking about where, hold on, I didn't exactly live up to my values uh, in terms of how I want to role model myself during games, uh, especially. And yeah, you've got to, you've got to, as a coach, be able to turn the, turn the mirror inwards and, and critique yourself and then also look for answers and solutions so that you can, you can move forward uh, for, for future seasons. Yeah. And I, I kind of talk about this in the book and you, it comes back to this question of how did I get to doing what I'm doing today? You know, mm. like really it came from a moment of great awareness that I was so far away from the, the leader that I was asking my players to be and that I was, you know, like, like I wasn't modeling that at all. Mm. Yeah. And I wasn't the leader I wanted to be like, I, I, I really desired to be like the, the person I looked up to the most is a great basketball coach, John Wood, and most have heard of him. Mm-hmm. And he had his pyramid of success with his core values and it built up over the years. And I would hand that pyramid out to my players and talk about what are his values. And there's a lot of reasons that's not really smart to do that. But the worst part about that, of using Wooden's values and passing them out and having a poster in my classroom was that I talked about those things, but they never were demonstrated my own behavior. And it was mm. when I became aware of that, that was like a rock bottom in coaching. Mm. That was a rock bottom in coaching. Uh, even though we, we won the championship that year you know, of our, of our conference. And that became the wake up moment for me. Mm. That became the driving force for me uh, to be able to have that realization. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important. Like you've got to experience that and, and, or experience it number one and two recognize that it is actually a rock bottom moment. Cause if you, if you're so full of yourself that you're, you're just going to push that aside, you, you're going to keep doing the same mistakes. And I, I had a similar one where two years into my coaching um, club legend after the game, we'd won the game, but I'd performed so poorly on the field in terms of managing my emotions. I was a player coach um, that he, he left the ground looking like, he just played his last game and lost by 50 nothing. And I had a two hour car ride on the way home where I had to, I had to really evaluate how I was doing things. And then it was the start of a, a long journey really of, of personal improvement and development in my, in my coaching, which then with the cool thing about that too, is all those lessons you learn in that personal development, you apply them to your life as well. So it makes you, makes you a better teacher or better employer and better, better husband, better dad, all those kind of things. If, if you're aware of it and you commit to it. Yeah. That, that's the, that's the amazing thing. When I, when I went through this journey, at the time I was a high school teacher and I was in the classroom, very similar to where I was on the court. And I would say, generally speaking, half of my players really loved me. Mm. Half my students really loved me. The ones that were bought in, like mm. I had great relationships. I have, you know, my earlier days, even when I would consider myself fairly transactional, so I have some of the best relationships with some of those, some of my athletes, mm. but there was a whole group. The ones that I labeled uncoachable, unteachable, undisciplined, poor mm. character. Um, 
that I really just struggled to connect with. And as I went through this transformation, I wasn't shooting hundred percent later on, but I started to reach a lot of athletes and a lot of students mm. in the classroom that I was never reaching before. And I would say 99% of my athletes that why I may not even have had the impact. They still might have struggled with the same things. There was at least this mutual respect. There was a respect and it was, it was, it was amazing. You know, I, I, I don't, it was just amazing to see that, 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 how that change could happen. Um, and that was with people. I didn't have to change teams. I didn't have to change schools. And that's what I think a lot of people ask me about is like, Hey, I need to make a change. Do I need to change teams? Like, do I need mm. to move my situation? Mm. Like, because I burn bridges. I'm like, no, no, you do not need to change places, your circumstances. You don't have to, because the one of the most powerful things that I've done, I've seen our coaches do it is to be transparent around, hey, I've fallen short in these areas. I am going to be working to be better on myself. And when your athletes see that, like mm. that vulnerability, that courage, that modeling, that growth mindset, that willingness to change and improve ourselves, that is the most, that is the best way to invite others to change. Yeah. And we can't change others. We can only invite them to change. And we're like, oh, we got athletes. They're lazy. We got athletes that got bad attitudes. We got athletes that have entitlement, right? How do we help them to change? Show them that we're willing to change. And so there's a there's a great there's so many great stories of my 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 journey and other coaches' journeys that just validate that that you can make the change wherever you're at. You don't need to jump ship. You know. Hi, coaches. In January, I had the opportunity to go on the Crusaders Coaching Leadership Program. And let me tell you, it was awesome. The videos from Robbie Deans, Razor Robertson, Kieran Reed, and Sam Whitelock were like binging your favorite Netflix show. And the other coaches were amazing as well. There are 127 of us from 15 different countries. And the best part is, it's all online, so you can work it around your busy schedule. Highly recommend this course. If you get the chance, check it out at crusaderscoaching.com. Now back to the show. One one of the things you talk about, you mentioned John Wooden uh, and his values uh, and and using those values. You you talk extensively about well, firstly making your own values in in terms of a team, uh, and but more importantly making those values sticky. Um, what what do you mean by that? Making them sticky, and what are some good examples of of sticky and maybe non sticky values? Yeah, you know the thing is. Like I, I don't like cliches, all right. Um, I but what I have learned is that the great leaders, the great organizations, use some cliches and some maxims, you know, things that really stick with people. So, like the All Blacks in rugby are probably the best example of this, and they're probably one of the best examples of this of any culture, right? Sweep the sheds you know, keep a blue head, right? All these different mantras that I know James Kerr goes into and talks about in his book, Legacy. Those things become a cultural language they, that pass down. And I remember interviewing Sean Fitzgerald about this. And I talk about him in my book, you know, he's the great legendary, or Sean Fitz, Fitz, Fitzpatrick, Sean sorry. Fitzpatrick, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember him interviewing him about this and how they had to formalize that. And they created the little black book when they, the All Blacks were going through a tough period, I believe, 
when he retired was like late 80s or late 90s. But, um, you know, they're, they're a great example of this, but I've seen this other other coaches. You know, John Wooden had core values, but he also had all these maxims that his players still remember to these days, to this day. And so I think that, you know, it's like a picture's worth a thousand words. You know, it's like quotes, like good quotes, good phrases that just stick with people, that help people to remember things and help to clearly identify a value with what it might look like in action. So it's not bad to have core values of like trust, care, and commitment. In fact, I have a coach that has TCC, trust, care, and commitment um, that I work with. And that's become foundational. And his players talk about TCC. And, and, and But they're always talking, but he has a bunch of maxims or principles that align with that, with, with trust, care, and commitment, what that looks like. Um, when it comes to like, everybody takes notes, right? That's a, that's a principle of theirs. Everybody picks up trash. Like these are things that are connected to commitment to the program, care for the environment that you're in. Okay. So it's having some phrases that go along with some of these values that I think help people to remember it and, and makes it sticky. Um, you know, we've got, uh, I've got one, you know, program that I've worked with and, you know, they talk about how they, you know, love gratitude and effort, right? Well, how do we show love? How do we show care? How do we, you know, how do we show that for each other? Well, with that, they have talk and touch. It's just a phrase. We're always talking and touching. So when you walk into practice, you walk into the training session, you have to say hello to everybody and you have to fist bump them. When you're walking down the halls of school, you talk and touch, right? It's always like, don't just pass someone, always acknowledge them. Uh, that comes a little bit from the 510 rule at Ritz Carlton, which was at 10 feet, you know, the, the, every employee had to acknowledge the guest. And at five feet, they had to, you know, ask a question or just, you know, speak to them, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's just these things of taking your values, sticky language helps us to see what it looks like in action, yeah. helps us to remember that. And we can talk about things without having to go into long lectures. Hey, this is how we do things here. We sweep the sheds. Everybody mm -hmm. picks up trash. Everybody takes notes, right? These are things that are cultural values that are linked to standards. Awesome. Love it. One section in the book that I really loved as well, and you know, this will be relevant with, with coaches uh, who have a preseason coming up and even you know, when, you, when you're getting new players throughout the season, um, you, you talked about, uh, and you gave, there were some great examples of the, the, the U S Navy using this in one particular boat, um, where the process of creating a really thorough onboarding of, of new members to the team and how it, you know, not only, uh, achieve great player buy-in or, or employee buy-in, uh, but also retention, um, you cite some great examples in the book. Can you talk a little bit about those and, you know, put it into a coaching context of how, how that could be created in a, in a, in a rugby club, for example. Yes. Um, when it comes to our own onboarding experience, like just think about when you've taken a new job as a teacher or wherever you like, maybe it was the club, just reflect on your own experiences in those moments so often it's very unintentional. It's very much like, I remember I took one, one, a coaching job where I moved from Ireland to Tennessee in, in the States. And I 
take this job and a teaching job. And here I am, uh, young coach, move across the ocean. And I show up, the locker room and the office are left an absolute disaster by the previous coach. The administration didn't take the time to clean that stuff up. Um, the classroom had all the stuff remaining for the previous teacher. I didn't have a login. I couldn't get access. It took me days to get set up. Like it was so disorganized. Now I took, say, personal responsibility. Like, okay, well, this is how things are. Well, I'm going to go focus on my job, right? Like that school missed a huge opportunity to establish a culture of what we expect here, right? Or, or how we do things here. And, and so, you know, th there wasn't a lot of connection. And I went there and I took me forever to meet people and feel great. Like, so mm. like, I'm disconnected from the experience, everything. And I just imagine if I wasn't a very highly motivated individual, like how other people's would show up. And that was the case. Like there's a lot of mm. teachers that would come in there that would leave very quickly. Cause it was like, they don't have a connection to the mission. There's this mission statement. There's these values, but like, we don't have a connection to that. And so mm. when you think about it for your players, it's the same thing you can have this vision of what you want the experience to be like for every athlete. You can have these core values. You can have these standards around how you want think people to do things. Who's teaching them that? How do they feel that experience from day one? And that's what Mike Abershoff did at the USS Benfold. He wanted every sailor, all 311 sailors to feel valued, to feel respected. And it was the worst US ship in the Navy at the time he took it over. And in a year's time, it became the best U.S. ship in the Navy on all performance metrics. It actually got the award for the best ship in the Pacific Fleet. He did this because he focused on, first off, that first day experience, that onboarding. Mm. Now, he took over there and new sailors that would come on, they had a very intentional process where they would be actually picked up from the airport. They'd be driven to the ship. There'd be a buddy that would walk them around the ship. And they would come in and meet the captain of the ship. And he'd sit down and he'd share a little bit about himself and get to know them. He'd actually call their parents because he was awesome. crazy. But like 18 year olds were showing up on the ship <laughs> that are going to go off to war. And Abershoff was like, well, if my son or daughter came to the ship, I would want to know that they got there safely. Mm. And I would want to know who's in charge and who's leading them. And so Abershoff personally would call them. So he did it with new sailors, but he also did it when he took over. He met with all 311 sailors, sat them down in his office, spent time with them over the first six weeks, talked about himself, shared a little bit of vulnerability, and then asked him three questions. What do you enjoy about the ship? What don't you enjoy about being on the ship? And if you were me, what would you change? And then he implemented those changes. Remember, find issues, focus on solutions. Back to our talk around Toyota. He, Abershoff applies all the Toyota production system principles. He walks the ship, the Gemba walk, like all these things, like the Kaizen continuous improvement, you know, finding issues. Like he does it all. And this is this is the crazy thing in my, in my research and in my learnings is that there's so many common shared tools here, right? So mm. the onboarding process, like it's just from day one, are we focused on what we want them to experience, that experience to be like, how are we embedding our cultural language from day one? How are we teaching them how we do things here? And how do we do that in a way that's not just coming from me, the leader, but we're getting other people to do that. So what we do is a lot of programs we have, we have a buddy system, big brother, big sister program that we like to do. You, you know, there's peer mentoring, things like that. We bring our leadership councils in on the process. How can we make this a great first week experience for our new players coming in? 
you know, those type of things. Uh, before a player even shows up on campus or to the new team, does someone reach out to them and say, hey, can't wait to have you here? Even just in younger levels. If there's a new player that comes in your club, do you say, do you take one of your more experienced veteran players and say, hey, your job is to make Johnny feel phenomenal today. You you lead him through the drills. You, you, know, you just look after him today. Like that's something so simple. Yeah. And all of a sudden, rather than Johnny show up going, you know, who do I talk to? Who do I throw the ball with? Who do I kick around with? There's already, he doesn't have to answer those questions. There's a, there's a guy that's like, Hey, come on over here. Like, Hey, meet everybody here. And he's doing the introductions, you know? So there's so many simple ways to do this that just absolutely transform the way it feels. And like, that comes down to it's such an important question. How do we want it to feel for our players when they show up every day? Well, it starts from day one being intentional. Yeah. And I think the beauty of that too, a lot of, a lot of coaches will look at high performing teams and say, well, they've got a, a multi-million dollar budget. Uh, of course, they're going to be high performing, but there's plenty of examples of teams who have really large budgets that aren't high performing. Uh, but all of what you just talked about is free. You you don't you don't need to do anything above and beyond and and pay exorbitant amounts of money or anything like that. It it's essentially free, and all it costs is time uh, and a commitment to do it. And you mentioned that word time. A lot of coaches, I don't have the time. I don't have the time mm-hmm. to meet with players. Mike Abershop, Captain Mike Abershop, met with 311 sailors, mm. 311 sailors, had at least 15 minute conversations with each sailor the first six months, six weeks. You think that he didn't have a lot of paperwork? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, as the captain of a ship, he, you have to make time. And, and at the end of the day, he ended up making so many improvements off just those six weeks off, their, off the sailor's suggestions. Mm. Um, he had a state where the sailors would tell him a suggestion. If he thought he could implement it right away, he'd get on the he press a little button on his desk. He'd get on this loudspeaker and say, tell the whole ship, you know, private so-and-so here just shared this with me. And so we were fully implementing this, right? Like, I mean, it was just, That's awesome. it's a really, there's a really cool book. I, I've interviewed Abra Shop and he's a phenomenal individual. There's a great book too. It's Your Ship by Captain Mike Abra Shop. If you want to learn more about it, I think it's the best leadership book out there because he's so like not your traditional, like military type leader, you know, because mm. he empowers and he does all those types of things. But yeah, man, there's, there's absolutely no other way to get to people than to give them your time, your attention, and to be a really good listener and ask great questions. Cool. Well, you jumped into my, my next question about books and, you know, on your website, myculturesystem.com, you've created the culture system reading challenge. 26 books to transform your leadership and culture. Um, why, why should coaches try this challenge? And what would be the first, let's say, I'm, go, I'm going to change my questions up. Uh, let's say, uh, what would be your three favorite books from this lot, list? Uh, one book needs to be for a coach who is brand new and hasn't you know, implemented any kind of cultural system. And the other two books, uh, someone who's a more experienced coach uh, that that has tried it, tried a few options, but wants to wants to, you know, explore further possibilities there. Yeah, I mean, the challenge is largely built off of what I would say are the twenty six most influential books that also help people to explore the concepts within my book, the culture system at greater depth. So, I think I just mentioned one there. Uh, it's your ship by Captain Mike Abershoft. I think it is a phenomenal way to see a Navy ship captain apply things that he might've picked up from 
books on Toyota and other leadership books and apply them into his context. And you'll read that and you'll be inspired, but you'll also be given practical things. You're like, oh, I can do that with my team. You know, like, mm. so there's a, a great thing there. I love that book too, for people that are taking over a new program, especially right, maybe yeah. if a new team where if it was in disarray. Um, I think kind of like this very standard book, like Inside Out Coaching by Joe Ehrman. It's, it's probably like the Bible of transformational coaching, right? It's like, it's an amazing book. It, it is a very, very, very important book um, on that. So I think that, that that would be one I would suggest that coaches read, new coaches, maybe if you struggle with this transformational, transactional type thing. Um, I think the other one that I find really beneficial is Positive Discipline by Dr. Jay Nelson. It's for teachers and yeah, it's, 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 it's for teachers and parents, but you know, I, I, I go extensively into how to apply that within the sporting context, this style of discipline that's founded, it's grounded in psychology, you know, like what we know to be effective ways of disciplining that are going to develop character um, continue to maintain a healthy relationship with the athlete. So we're not through, through the way we discipline, we're not going to essentially get them to do what we want them to do out of fear. They're going to do what we want them to do because it's actually what they want to do because it's going to help them to become the player, the teammate that they want mm-hmm. to be and have the success. Thing. Like we want people to do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because we told them to, right? So you're not going to just get blind obedience. You're going to get character. Right. Like, mm. like, and when they, your player goes on to play for somebody else, they're still going to have these habits. They're not going to, or they go on to later in life, other things, you know, they're going to have habits of being on time mm. and they're not going to need the leader to yell at them or scream at them or make them or punish them if they don't do those things, which is one of the, the shortcomings of old school transactional coaching. When we use fear is when the fear is gone or the fear isn't enough, people don't do what we ask them to do. Right. So mm. And, and also fear can sometimes harm that relationship. I would say even in relationships where you still have a connection with an athlete, I still think I never, like, I never want players to like want to run through a wall for me mm. because they didn't want to let me down. I want them to run through a wall for the team, for themselves, yeah. because they don't want to let themselves down. They don't want to let the team down. You know, I don't want to be about me. Um, so positive discipline is a really good book for that because it is, I think the title, people, oh, is it going to be just like, you know, all leprechauns and rainbow or, you know, unicorns and rainbows, right? <laughs> I have that type of stuff, you know, like, is it going to all be warm and fuzzy? No, it's, it's, it's clearly enforcing the consequences in a way that's respectful, mm. that's demanding, not demeaning. So I would definitely put that at the top of other people's list as well. Well, that's gone to my list, uh, just from a more from a parenting uh, point of view. I'm always looking for, ways to be a better dad and uh often we parent how we were parented and most of the time that's wrong so <laughs> we, well, we we need to t- try to yeah. try to calibrate well and i would offer this too is i think the fear when we come across new ideas is let's just say even parents let's use parenting as an example mm. like when we start to parent differently than our parents parent our parents and when they observe us or we share that, they might 
take offense that I know my parents have they're like you know like because they feel like it's an attack upon them but you know like it's like no it's just this is a better way knowing what we know now it's a better way so it's the same in coaching like for the longest time I remember I was working with an athlete horrible situation I won't go into it but essentially they were it was they had a they were living in a in a a house for people that were were victims of abuse and the social worker would bring them to practice and I remember the social worker just like saying something to me once of like, essentially like, it's not really good to be yelling at them all the time, especially this one who's been through this severe trauma. And I remember just brushing that off and not listening. And here's a social worker that's got education and background and psychology and stuff more than I do. But I thought she was saying I was a bad coach. What really she was just saying is, hey man, there's probably a better way to do this, especially for this guy. And I think this is the, this is, this is, kind of the hard part of changing and coaching is where we get feedback or we hear this guy hop on a podcast and he starts saying, Hey, stop yelling and screaming at your guys and try this. It's like, are you telling me I'm doing it bad? No, 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 no. There's just a better way, you know? And that's, that's what it, you know, that's why I love positive discipline. It's like, all right, I'm still a decent human being. My parents didn't use positive discipline all the time. You know, they, they didn't use that approach. Um, but we can be better. You know, we know better now. Yeah, I agree. That's a great message. All right, that's a great way to to lead us into the final question. I I always end the show with the same final four questions. I'll I'll adjust question one for you. Um, when you were a kid growing up in South Carolina, who was one of those uh, athletes, basketball player or other that that really drew your attention to to sport and and wanting to do and emulate what they were doing? So. It was a guy named Grant Hill who was, he played for the Detroit Pistons and he was an all around really solid athlete and a basketball player. He had a lot of triple doubles, which meant like he would score a lot of points, get a lot of rebounds and have a lot of assists. And he had a lot of quadruple doubles. So he'd like, you know, the double being over 10, over 10 points, over 10 rebounds, over 10 assists. He'd also have like over 10 blocks. So he'd have a lot of, you know, or 10 steals. And, but he was a great human being as well, too. And he still is a great human being. And I know he's involved in, in, in sports casting. But the, the way I fell in love with him just kind of shows kind of where my experience. We, we grew up really poor. We didn't have a lot of money. But my mom found it like a discount store for a dollar, a Grand Hill jersey. And I got that. And I never, like, we couldn't afford jerseys, but it was like for a buck. And so I had a Grand Hill jersey. So I fell in love with Grand Hill just purely because of that. And then I started to, like, research and learn about him and actually really really liked him as a player and stuff like that that's awesome <laughs> great story that's cool and, w- and what about now you're based in ireland uh we were talking a bit off air about uh, how great ireland's performing at the moment and um you're you're, you're more exposed to rugby who, who are some of the the players that you like watching uh when you do get to watch rugby you know i i love bundiaki uh yeah he's great, yeah. Ireland. <laughs> yeah i don't really like i he's a beast. i'd say yeah, I'm really starting to, um, you know, really get into it. Really, like it's 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 the yeah. highlight of my weekend. It's the Six yeah. Nations has just been yeah. great this year. Um, so I don't really know too much about him as a person. Like that always mm. factors into players or athletes that I like or coaches is like who they are off the pitch. Uh, it's, it's just pretty quality. Yeah. yeah, but but everything I've heard has been really as a quality individual, mm. and he just has a great composure when he's on the pitch. You know that I think is you know, is he just seems, he seems very likable to me. So yeah. Highly skilled too. You, you look at him and think, okay, he's just gonna, 
he's just going to bash it up. But uh, that's that's far from the truth. He's his passing game is excellent. He's got a, a nice uh, subtle kicking game as well, and defense is rock solid. So yeah, he's a he's a he's a beauty. I like watching him. Cool. And what about coaches? You've you've dealt with a lot of coaches, uh, high profile coaches. Uh, who are, who are some of the ones that you feel are, are doing great great work? Yeah, um, I've really enjoyed what I've read about in rugby world just of Joe Schmidt. You know, he mm-hmm. just seemed like yeah. a, a really class individual that values people and the relationships. Mm-hmm. So, and I think he's a large. You got to give him a lot of credit for where Ireland for sure. is today, right? Yep. So, um, I think he's he was definitely foundational to this number one world world ranking. Um, I've been fortunate since my first book, Calling Up, to. Uh, get to know Monty Williams, who's the head coach of the Phoenix Suns, uh, 2022 NBA coach of the year. And he is a guy that values people. He values culture. He would admit himself. He's tactically, technically does nothing special. He just connects with the person and the element. And he creates a work environment to go and spend time there at the Suns, um, you know, and to have other assistants after they had just lost in the NBA finals two months prior to the Milwaukee Bucks. And they're like, hey, we're we're going for the championship again, but we want this to be fun every day. Mm. And to have the balance, the environment where if they're not playing, they're all going home at two o'clock. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. like like they, it's just that that level of balance that I think is just so, so brilliant. So love what he's doing in the basketball world. Um, I think that's just phenomenal. Yeah, that's great. I'll I'll definitely check him out. And final question, who's someone in the grassroots uh, that doesn't have the profile of, of those two coaches who, who you feel is doing really uh, exceptional work and deserves some recognition? Yeah, I wish I like, could say like someone in, in, the, uh, in the rugby world because I'm, I'm, you know, but uh, I would say there's a, a coach that I work with who's also the CEO of a business. Awesome. And he's a soccer coach and he coaches under nines under tens. So cool. obviously at most of my clients are not underage soccer coaches that have two <laughs> practices a week. They're yeah. mostly, you know, people that have, you know, a bit more money to pay for this type of service, but he obviously gets, we do a lot of work with his business and his business is they'd make boat covers. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing special, mm-hmm. but it's a 20 man operation. They have a lot of, immigrants and it's an amazing culture there it's an amazing family they have core values like you know ring the bell of excellence and people matter and everyone knows the values and they live the values and i've gotten to work with their business but i also know what he's like as a as a youth soccer coach and he's incredible his level of intentionality to connect with his players to do the little one-on-ones this is under eights and he Mm -hmm. does little one-on-ones with them before and after practice on the pitch um you know not breaking any rules. It's all like, you know, very visible type stuff. And he, mm. he's implemented a culture system within a small, you know, youth soccer team. And so Clint Halliday is his name and, and he's an amazing, amazing individual um, because he's implemented the culture within this work, within his team. And he's got all the, the personal disciplines um, to back it up as a leader. Yeah. Awesome. Great job, Clint. Um, I'll, I'll just riff off that a little bit because that, that's often a question I get asked is, Oh, what, what, age can you start implementing you know values and team culture and and things like that and you know i my my little guy is seven years old uh he's 
Um, I've registered him and a bunch of buddies into a three-on-three hockey uh, spring uh, spring league, and I'm the coach, even though I know hockey, nothing about hockey. I'm just going to be opening a door and closing the door. But what I did do was I I emailed all the parents and said, "Please ask your son what's what's one thing they value about being in a team, and then also uh, what's their favorite song right now, so I can put it on the playlist uh, for the for the change rooms." And I think. There's no limit to to the age. You you just have to adjust it to to the group that you're working with. Oh yeah, like back to that whole onboarding thing. Like mm. new player shows up. All right, who's looking after that player? Mm. Having a follow up. You know, what do you think of today? What did you enjoy? What didn't you enjoy? What was challenging? Having just a little follow up in that first that first session with that athlete. Um, you know, Clint's challenged me because I, I hear the stuff he does, and so it's like, you know, getting players just to even have that physical touch beforehand of just going around to each other and everybody high-fiving and you know mm. you know and, and also going around in the circle and players calling out certain players for something they did well in practice that day you know mm. hey what you know just things like that i think you can implement so many little things even within your 60 minute session once a week if that's all you've got that just making a different experience for everyone mm. That's great. Awesome. All right, JP, that's awesome to chat about. This is easily my favorite topic around coaching. So uh, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. And I, I've been loving loving the book. I've been using it as an audio book. And I think I emailed you. I'm, I'm doing it while I'm walking my dog, which makes it a, a bit of a stop-start affair as I write down a bunch of notes. Uh, so there's huge value there. And I'll, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes to to listeners as well as uh, for your podcast as well. But it's been great having you on the show and want to thank you for giving up your time. Yeah. Incredible conversation. Uh, really thoughtful and enjoy it. Enjoyed it a lot. So Perfect. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.